0: e-commerce landscape has transformed into a versatile and unique space offering today's companies large and small an opportunity to increase sales and grow their business this podcast offers an exciting opportunity for price spider to unite and empower the e-commerce community at large by providing insights in a thoughtful and accessible way all with the aim of providing immense value to brand manufacturers and retailers alike Hello everyone, my name is Anthony Cappazzoli and welcome to the Price Spider E-Commerce Connected Podcast. We have an awesome 20 minutes for you today. I have Bill Johansson, the founder of VisionWorks on the line with me today. And we're gonna be talking about building brand uh, or rather brands building and creating marketplace power, brand equity and doing it the right way. Bill, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, Anthony, thank you very much for having me.
0: It is my pleasure. So let's kick things off with a very brief introduction about who you are, let you do that, and then we're going to dive into the good stuff because there's so much to talk about today. I'm going to try to jam so much content in 20 minutes that people just feel great about themselves and the people around them after they listen to this awesome segment. So let's talk about who you are first.
1: So uh, really developed everything, working at Bose for 10 years with Dr. Bose to build the equity there and the price stabilization and the clean distribution. And then I've morphed it forward at VisionWorks, working with eh, probably about four dozen wholesale manufacturers to uh, help them achieve marketplace power. And that's really what's important here going into 2020, is if you're going to get anything accomplished as a brand, you have to have marketplace power. And we have the keys to the kingdom on that.
0: I love it. And uh, I have known you for a very long time. And I've had the pleasure of working with uh, you and the brands that you've worked with. So um, I have a, a really wonderful vantage point. So maybe to help the listeners understand, let's talk about what, uh, what it looks like for a brand in the marketplace that doesn't have brand power um, quickly. And then we'll dive in about how to help them avoid those pitfalls.
1: So, uh, so, the, so the best way to look at it is that, I, I, again, I was just talking to a variety of uh, uh, manufacturer, wholesale manufacturers out there. doesn't matter if it's sporting goods or consumer electronics or, you know, whatever, tires, whatever the channel is. You're selling through retailers to end users. That's the, that's the scheme. And what we've got here is a pathway. It's all the same. It's all the same. So you're, two, thing, two paths to the uh, retailer. Retailers either going to see you as a value-added manufacturer that has a plan, that has a strategy, that has brand equity, that they can merge their brand equity with yours to create demand in the marketplace for your brand. And the brand and the retailer are going to work together, be the category leader and drive sales. And that's a small group that comes with a plan, with a proven plan of brand equity and product power. The, where it goes, the other side is what I call, you know, the dump bin of manufacturers. So this is, this is where the retailer, they've got a plan, you know, whether it's like Apt in Chicago or REI or whatever, Target, whatever it may be, they have a go-to-market plan for their brand as a retailer. And so they're either going to partner in a category with a preeminent manufacturer that brings a plan and brand equity and marketplace demand, or they're going to reach into their manufacturer dump bin and grab that manufacturer that doesn't have a plan, but has a good product that is representative in the category. And they're going to use that brand for their purpose to build their brand equity and drive sales. So that's what happens when you don't have brand power is that you are at the mercy of the retailer.
0: Perfect. Uh, and I love it. So let's let's tie this back to uh, pricing policies, UPP, map policies, etc. And we can maybe kind of just say that uh, at a high level, uh, a lot of brands are kind of skittish or afraid of being able to have the power or the ability to enforce their policy. And we're here to tell you that that is absolutely not the case. And you can have Bill J uh, come on board and help you figure that out specifically at how to build that brand power. But That's what we're kind of talking about here is giving brands the strategy, the hook spa internally to get all of the stars aligned from the the CEO to the janitor on what it's like to have brand power. You have to buy in. So maybe you could talk a little bit about that, Bill, and explain to the listeners uh, how to make that happen. Um, And I know that's not an easy question, but
1: I'd, I'd like to give you an opportunity to kind of talk through that strategy a little bit. So when I left Bose and I started my own business back 11 years ago, I was known as the the UP guy. So I had a really good reputation in consumer electronics and was able to capture a significant amount of clients like a TiVo and a Logitech and Olympus and Denon. I've got them all listed on the wonderful website. And so I was known as the UP guy. And because I had done UP at Bose, which is still the platinum standard, that's what everybody knew me for. So I went off with these brands and we started to put unilateral policies together with them and get their agreements and authorizations and all the stuff staged up so that they could go out and stabilize their online pricing and get things set up. And so I kind of backed into it via UPP or you know what has kind of morphed off to the side of it being MAP. And that's when I found out with these clients and manufacturers over the years that that's not the place you start. (laughs) (laughs) I dig it. That's not where you start. I mean, the, the only way to, the only retailers that you can apply MAP and UP to are your authorized retailers. Authorized meaning you'll have some type of agreement with that has standards that applies to executing your strategy. Whereas the big misperception out there is that, you know, I've got all these unauthorized sellers and they're selling below MAP. Well, they've never seen your MAP policy and they're unauthorized sellers. You can't leverage a MAP or UP policy on somebody that's not an authorized seller. Or the other end to it is if you know this retailer is a horrible transshipping discounting retailer, And you, quote, unquote, authorize them because by signing your agreement and giving them the map policy, you think you're going to change their behavior. If you're like parents and kids, this should resonate with you. Your (laughs) agreement and your map policy isn't going to change anything relative to any retailer. So if you're trying to force them to be good citizens for your brand based on your policy or your agreement, you're dreaming. You really should only authorize dealers and apply a policy to dealers who are dealers that have the same worldview as you of your brand. And that's where things have changed significantly for me, trying to go out, just like most manufacturers try to do. I'm going to get a map policy and I'm going to get authorization and we're going to fix the internet and the pricing. Right. (laughs) No. No. I
0: agree. Uh, so l- let me clarify for the listeners that the the different the policy is the map policy or the pricing policy. The agreement is the dealer or reseller agreement. We like to make that distinction, of course. Um, and just to kind of nut this out here, what Bill is saying: the end of the day is a couple of documents, one way or the other, aren't going to fix anything at all. So you you can have the New England Patriots playbook, but you're certainly not going to win the Super Bowl. You have to execute the plays. You've got to execute the strategy. Um, so bill like I, I, we've heard time and again you me uh, we've been in this space a very long time. we've heard brands say well that map, map doesn't work it it it's useless uh we lose sales, we do this it does that um and we want to talk about you know how that is exactly the opposite in fact, it will um do quite the opposite of that. And what I mean is uh, it'll give brands the ability to protect their brands. You have to make hard choices. So so maybe let's, let's start with that. What, what does a brand have to do to get on board to execute this strategy?
1: So uh, an overall strategy or a map strategy? Uh, a little bit of both,
0: right? So okay. I'm going to kind of give you the opportunity to kind of walk down the path that you choose um, for listeners, because I think it's important for them to understand that there are multiple facets to success.
1: Okay, perfect, perfect, perfect. So, you know, first thing you really have to have is you got to have a specialty product. I mean, your product has to be unique. These are the brands that I generally work with and the ones that have success. They've been in the marketplace a long time. So they've built up an equity of that brand name. You know, I'll just stick with Bose because, you know, I don't want to pick any other examples. Bose is the one I... Worked with and built the platform on, so you know Bose equity in the marketplace. It's like, oh, you know, customers familiar with it. The product has product power. I mean, they're you know tied in with the NFL right now. They've got the noise canceling headphones and all these different things. So you got <laughs> to right. have product, had, <laughs> right. you got to have product power, and you have to have equity power. So those things and a lot of these companies have been built over many, 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 many years. Now, when you get to this internet age, you get to the Amazon age. You get to this technology age. All of it is different because it used to be that your retail sales guy and your advertising, you could control all of those things and you could control all the messaging. That is all gone now. So Amazon and the Internet control your messaging. And it can be any amount of salad for what your brand voice is or what your brand messaging is can be anything. And you have to actually get out there and control that. Which means you've got to get involved with retailers that understand what it is that you're trying to do to help you to do that. So you, you have to make the right decisions in the marketplace who your partners are going to be. Because if you're a wholesale guy, you're dealing with partners in between you and the, and the end user. And the best example of that is like these direct, uh, these digitally native vertical brands right now. So you think of like a Casper or I think of Harry's Shave, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, how the hell did these companies in the last couple of years take product power and equity power and create it in like two or three years when it took us 10, 20, 30 years to do our brand? Simple situation is that they don't have a retailer in the middle. They're going directly to the end user. So they're getting all the feedback relative to what they're putting in the marketplace for brand messaging and pricing and product direct to the end consumer, and they're getting all the feedback directly. And so they're taking all the technology, all the data, all the communication, and looking at all those things and adjusting it on the fly every minute to build that brand equity. Yet most of the companies that I'm dealing with, most of the companies that were at the summit, you've got that retailer in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to make that retailer in the middle a partner. The old days, brick and mortar, boy, you had to be on every street corner in every town everywhere so that your product was available. Whereas Amazon, I can order freaking anything and I'll have it tomorrow. So if we went from where it had to be in town that it was accessible for me to get to I can order it on the internet anytime in one day, you gotta adjust your distribution strategy. And this was what Thompson had said uh, from uh, Buy Box Experts is you've got to be looking at internet distribution and brick and mortar distribution with the highest level people in your company at the same time to decide how that's going to work. That's the only way going forward that you're going to be able to leverage your product power and your equity power to have marketplace power with your retailers by choosing the right retailers and structuring an integrated offline and online plan of how you're going to get your message out there.
0: So two things here: uh, A, what does a good retailer look like in the eyes of a brand, and then B, what do you do to a retailer that isn't that turned out to be not a good retailer? Like I think that's kind of the meat and the bone here. Ooh,
1: yeah, awesome! Absolutely correct. So what is a good retailer? A retailer is the one that's going to identify that he's his go-to market merges with your go-to market, his creating brand equity is merging with your creating brand equity. So when the customer comes in and asks for your brand, do you get stepped off or do you get sold to? When they advertise, are they using your materials, your words, your look? In store, brick and mortar, are they using your look and your feel and your placement? So first off, you gotta have a strategy. It has to be cohesive. Your messaging has to be integrated and you have to know what you wanna say online and offline. And you need to look to these retailers that are the ones that are progressive. I mean, are they still just buying stuff in and hoping it sells through? Or are they doing this, you know, making it available online and you can pick it up in store? Or we can have quick delivery? Or, hey, we've got this responsiveness relative to the consumer. Are they working to execute a customer experience online and offline in an integrated fashion that you can partner with them To deliver that integrated solution, because they can't win without product partners. So that's what you need to look at. Is is it not because you've been selling them for 20 years and it's the biggest part of your quota? It's what products of ours are going to work with them? And are they working with the end user and technology to make the most of it? And so that is a significant question, and there's a lot of details relative to how that is. But you have to start looking at it that way. You've got to get past the point that it's just a PO. And because the sale doesn't really happen until it's in the customer's hands. That's why these digitally native vertical brands do so well. When the sale happens, it goes to the consumer, boom, it's done. When a sale goes to a retailer, that's purgatory sale. That could be a return. That could be a tranship. That could be a markdown. That could be anything until it gets into the hands of the consumer that can either be positive or negative to your brand. And that's the way that you have to be thinking. Am I going to sell a retailer that's going to work with me to sell this through to create my brand equity? relative to my brand voice or is this a guy that I'm going to have to pay a markdown debt to because half the stuff I sold him is the wrong stuff that he wasn't going to sell anyways. Right. Then he's going to take that markdown and mark the product down and sell it out the back door. So all of a sudden the price on the internet is now lower because he sold it at a discount because you gave him money to sell it off. And now you just notch that price down on that product even further and you're paying for your own, uh, marketplace pricing instability.
0: So that's a really good place to pivot this conversation in a good way. So let's say that we think that as a brand, let's say I'm the brand. I, I figured these are my top 10 retailers. I'm just making that number up. Uh, we've got everything we need in place. We've got a UPP policy. We've got a reseller agreement, but push comes to shove. Half of these retailers are bunk. They're not doing a good job. They're blowing up pricing. They're causing race to the bottom pricing, brand instability for my bricks and mortar retailers that also have an online footprint, all the bad stuff that comes along with that. What does an organization, what kind of discussions and decisions does a brand have to make internally? Uh, what does that look like? Because, you know, you and I both have heard this before. VPs of sales are going to say, look, I got to sell stuff. Uh, and, you know, these people I've known for years, I've been working with them for 25 years. Uh, you know, I've gone to weddings, they've gone to my, you know, that kind of thing. How, what do these brands have to do? What kind of decisions do they have to make to to be successful?
1: So I had this conversation yesterday and I have a conversation with every single client and either succeeds or it fails. So if this is your buddy and he was, you know, your college roommate, and you went to his own wedding (laughs) and terminating and you need to terminate him for the brand, then you've either got to decide, am I working for the brand or am I going to go work for my buddy? Because if you're working for the brand, your priority needs to be the brand and the brand equity, not your personal relationship. Right. So these personal relationships got to get blown up. So every VP of sales that I talked to talked to one yesterday. So we got a hundred million dollar business. Right. I know who the bad guys are. Some of them I just hate. I can't wait to get rid of. But gee whiz, the, you know, the revenue and then other ones. Oh, my God. They've been good guys for a long time, but ah, they've gone down the wrong path with me. So I got a hundred million dollar business. 20 million of it is bad. 80 million of it is good. So say we remove that 20 million. What's going to happen to that 80? You know, you, you think it's going to be 100? He's like, oh, geez, you know, I, I get rid of that 20. It, it, the 80 is going to be more than 100. So what are you waiting for? Right. Well, we can't we can't have that. You know, we can't have that drop. We can't have that glitch. Okay. So here's what I've done with a variety of manufacturers. So here's your 80 million. So your 80 million is 80-20, right? So 20% of the guys are gonna do 80% of the volume. So you need to go to that 20% that does the 80% of the 80 million and say to them, look, I'm getting rid of these 10 guys that do the 20 million, these 30 guys that do the 20 million. To get rid of this, get rid of them, I want to, I need to get that 20 million picked up. So you go to the 20% that does the 80% of the $80 million and say, I'm gonna get rid of these guys, we're gonna clean up the marketplace, I need the revenue to transition to you. I need you to pick up the slack.
0: That's... See, you know what's funny is it's so obvious that layer of that conversation and how welcomed that conversation would be with the right retailers, the right distributors, whatever it might be. I mean, that's everything, right? You have to make hard choices. You've got to be willing to fight the good fight. I mean, it, this is truly and another part of this bill, um, and then uh, I'd wanna if it's okay with you is maybe talk about one one more topic for a minute. Uh, the other piece of this is this is a war of attrition. You can't just say, well, we've gotten there, the game is over. I don't have to eat this. You you never can stop your focus on this, your effort on this. You have to constantly never. refine. So there's never, never. It, there's never really a finish line. And I don't mean that in a bad way. That's no. in, in a good way. Like this all matters. And if it's okay with you, I'd, I'd love you to just in maybe a minute, Uh, As we wrap, what I think is a juicy segment, um, and we're going to have many more of these, and we're going to go in much more detail on very specific topics, uh, because I love talking to Bill, um, and I think the listeners will love listening to Bill, uh, is – can we talk about your success? If there's one brand in particular, you could look online, up and down, left and right, anywhere, and you're never going to find – Uh, any online brand disruption and I don't want to say the brand name unless you do but you have killed it in the past for your brands and it's so impressive in fact that even today you cannot find a bad footprint for this particular brand from a pricing perspective or a content perspective
1: well does Bose work for that it
0: absolutely works for that I do want to say that because I don't want to put you on the spot but if you look online you can't find a bad footprint for those guys it's amazing what you did there well
1: and and you can't you can't go in store and get a discount either to this day. Yeah. And that was the platform that we laid back in the nineties that I have used as my template here for creating marketplace power is exactly the Bose framework just modified forward to fit the new era with uh, you know, the 48 clients that I've worked with, with successes and failures. And just going back to that revenue transition thing, what happens is, is when you get rid of the bad guys, you send the message out there that you're not screwing around anymore, number one. And number two, when you go to the other ones and say, I'm getting rid of these guys, I'm counting on you, all of a sudden, you put, come out of the dump bin, if that's where you were, and you go over to the positive side as a trusting partner, and they start investing in the brand. And you know what? They do more than cover the $20 million that was lost. And then now you've got less people doing more business, which is going to be more efficient and more cost effective and more able for you to control. It's a funny thing. But all these senior sales guys, because they've been doing the same thing for decades, they're afraid to change. They're afraid to put the other pant leg on first because of just fear. And that's what I do is I hold their hand, (laughs) I show them the roadmap, I show them the results, we look at the data and technology and i jump off the cliff with them and we land nicely yeah and then what happens is boom their mind just changes it's like oh my god the end user is the customer not the retailer and hey i can do these pivots and make it work so we did that with bose i've got a bunch of current clients right now that are that are working on that and it, you know if you've got a passionate brand with great equity in the marketplace and people on board that really are concerned that this can happen. This can happen. And then, you know, the price spider and the prowl and the content, the equity there can be maintained when we put in place a way to build the equity. Magical, magical things happen. And the retailers, when they see that it's a brand that they can trust, that they do what they say they're going to do, it changes everything. Right now, what happens is they come out with a map policy and they're immediately either not utilizing it or saying one thing and saying another thing and you're actually making your credibility worse yeah. poorly executed map program then doing what you say you're going to do. Okay, but that was more in a
0: minute. No, no, that, that, that's great. So uh, one more thing that I want to say, and then uh, I'll give you an opportunity to let people know how to find you. Um, brands don't need to wait. I'd just like you to confirm this. They don't, brands don't need to wait until they're a $100 million brand. You could do this as a $2 million yeah. brand. In fact, it's probably easier to tame the cub than the tiger anyway. So you've you've Correct. got to kind of, get out of the mindset. A lot of brands I talk to, they call in or email me and ask, you know, we're only a $5 million brand, $10 million brand. We're going to wait till we're thirty 30 million. Well, that's exactly the opposite approach that Correct. you should take. You need to get on this right now. And if you are a $50 million brand, it's just going to take you that much longer to get things worked out. It can be worked out. You just need experts and, and some, some help along the way. But the small brands don't just dismiss this. Listen to this, take advantage of the fact that you're small now. So I'm going to stop there. And then Bill, how to the great listeners
1: out there of our podcast uh, find you? Vision, visionworks.com, V-I-S-I-O-N-W-E-R-K-S.com, visionworks.com. And then I'm on LinkedIn, Bill J1, B-I-L-L-J1 on LinkedIn. Um, Visionworks I don't have, otherwise you're going to end up on an eyeglass. Yes, uh, website, So the W-E-R-K-S is what allows me to exist with my company name and the ability to find online. And I, I've got a company, Helinox, that has like six people that have adopted it and they're crushing Because what you have to look at is these digitally native vertical brands that came out of nowhere dealing directly with a customer that probably got $10 million in startup funds that are starting with $10 to do their business. (laughs) It's the same template. We've just figured out how to provide the retailer being in the middle of that for these wholesale brands to succeed. So excellent point. Excellent point. Coming out of the gate smaller is more nimble and better it's the billion dollar Electroluxes and GN Netcoms and Newell's and Vistas that I'm working with that have the issues with silos and political power and all this other. Absolutely. Crap that makes it difficult that we can still cut. Of
0: course. And, um, you know, I'll tell you out there that, uh, it's, it's also fun. Once you get going, you, the success uh, it, it motivates you, and, and it's exciting when you start seeing right. your success. So, But with that, we're at 24-minute mark, a little, couple more minutes, uh, a couple minutes longer than we hope. But This is great content. Bill, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show, uh, or rather to have you on the show the first time. We're going to have you on the show many, many other times. And uh, thanks for the great content, buddy. I appreciate it. Thank
1: bye you. Bye-bye. <laughs>